It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the live 20 Minute Tim's flagship podcast. I am your host, Jamie, and I'm joined by Stephen and Melly. What's happening, folks? What's happening? Yes. A, a nice uh, wee relaxed international break podcast for us. Feels weird. Feels weird to be broadcasting live from our seedy little individual studios, but I'm <laughs> glad to be back. I tell you what, I am still trying to decide whether or not that countdown music is a banger or not. Whether or not <laughs> it's, it's, a a it's a banger. Had you been uh, able to see me, I, I did have a bit of a bit of a sway going on to that. Did that, you? Yeah, uh, well, that I, I can music. see you. Right. I can see you backstage. So, so what we've decided to do is something a little bit different. We're going live right now to everyone on patreon.com slash 20 minute Tims. Um, and we've just basically handed the flagship podcast over to you guys for a Patreon mailbag edition. And it'll be going out as normal to everybody else. All the regular listeners and watchers will be able to get it after the fact. But I think before we turn to the pressing questions, I've got one. I've got actually two questions. I've stuck one in the mailbag myself for you guys. No. Um, but I've got the, the most pressing question of the moment for me is tomorrow. Scotland v England, uh, the 150th anniversary international match and all the stuff that's going along with it. One of the oldest, no, probably the oldest the rivalry in yeah. in football, um, and that's being celebrated. And of course, Ray, Rangers hand a training ground over to the England team, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all they and, and and they're all buzzing about it. They are all absolutely buzzing about it, which is something for me I personally can't understand. It's just. It's so quintessentially oh. Rangers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the world's first pick-me football team as well. Oh, look at me. <laughs> Love me, England. It's absolutely tragic. I, I mean, it was always going to happen. I don't, I don't yeah. know why I'm the least bit surprised. It was always going to happen. A match made in heaven, the, the whole thing. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, imagine England had wanted real training facilities. Celtic may have had the chance to absolutely turn them down. But no, I'm not in the least bit surprised that they've rocked up at the facilities formerly known now never to be known again as a Murray Park. <laughs> we don't they don't mention that name anymore. Oh, but yeah, it's, that's no, it's where the Auckland yes. it's the catchy Auckland Howie training ground yes. as it's known. Bill, you wouldn't really put past this sort of thing by Rangers though, would you? This is exactly what what's what I've enjoyed most is one day ago they wanted to sack Michael Beale. He changed his Instagram profile <laughs> picture and stopped and stopped following the players on their sort of special little Instagram group that the Rangers have got. 
he changed his Instagram profile picture. The world is alight with rumours that he's quitting. Everyone's like, good, they should sack him. And all you need to do to save your job at Rangers is get England to train at the training ground. Now, nobody, nobody cares about Michael Beale anymore. It's all about how much moaning the rest of Scotland's doing about this. No, I just get something to do with Great Britain in there and they'll, they'll fall hook, line and sinker for it, won't they? And I have no doubt that Rangers offered this to England rather than oh. uh, England asking Rangers. And look, it appeases their fans. I thought we were getting sort of past the stage where it was the meltdown was starting to dissipate a wee bit but I think this just shows that this is all they have this is all they have right now is England are training at their training ground and they're putting up photos in their Instagram and they're Jude Bellingham's talking about what a good team Rangers are. That, that was fake, mate. That was oh, fake. Was it? A, a Rangers fan made that. Oh, up. that exactly. <laughs> but, but, this is all they have. Fake news. <laughs> yeah, Rangers fan made that up, right? But it's okay because it was obviously to wind up Celtic fans, but naturally all the Rangers fans online thought it was real. <laughs> so the whole point of this is we've we've offered. This is not like the Friday phone in, which is a Patreon thing we do where people ask us, you know, how many. Gordon Strachan's would we sacrifice to get one Henry Glasson back for Tonks we, we, we wanted to have it a bit more Celtic Celtic centric on this one and the first up is a question from Minty and Minty's, Minty's asked us why do you think we didn't sign a goalkeeper or a left back in the transfer window do you think Brendan is happy with his options here uh, well I suppose there's many levels to that question why did we not I, I mean I, I could only speculate on what didn't happen in the window mm. because the, the truth is I don't know but we stopped being linked with goalkeepers as soon as the Levakovic thing died and that only was alive for about two weeks was never realistic anyway and after that there was no keepers linked at all and uh, as I said I think during the window I thought that yeah, Celtic do tend to keep their cars quite close to their chest when it comes to the Scottish media the Scottish media don't really have hold of a, an awful lot when it comes to Celtic rumours mm. but what you tend to find is that if Celtic are talking to players across Europe, agents talk, agents talk, clubs talk. I mean, it's impossible to keep things completely secret. So I feel like if we were in any way linked with goalkeepers, we would have found out about it. One way or another, we would have found out something had fallen through. We were linked to left-backs. So there was that Merlin, there, were, there weren't a Kieran Tierney, which realistic or not, yeah. it was a... It was a reasonably credible and long-lasting link throughout the window. It didn't happen, of course, but as far as keepers go, there was absolutely nothing at all. Is is Brendan Rodgers happy with his lot? I'd be worried if he is, if I'm honest. I, I think I'd be concerned if he thinks that this is good enough to navigate a Champions League group. Now, that's, again, what you can possibly do in one transfer window to make Celtic bulletproof in the Champions League, I don't know, right? But I, I think we all wanted some sort of improvement or at least strengthening the options of in that in those two key areas we didn't get either one we spoke last Monday about how we basically spent three months collecting centre mids and centre halves and wingers mm. didn't do anything in those so why they didn't I, I don't know but I don't think it's because Brendan Rodgers is entirely happy with his lot what mm. I would say is that it's impossible to build an entire squad in one transfer window However, the other side of that is that traditionally, historically, in the last few managers we've had, it doesn't ever get better than the first transfer window, does it? It tends no. to be explosive, big. Mm. We get all the players in in the first transfer window and then we had that uh, humorously put together podcast about Brendan Rodgers' first tenure. What we found was that it was mostly in the first couple of windows and then it died a death after that. So we can hope that it's not the case this way around because the reason Brendan's back is because it's all going to be different. We're all going to be working together in perfect harmony and we're going to get the players in. The reasons, 
I don't know. I don't know why they've not signed those players. Maybe things fell through, but I, I do not think that Brendan Rodgers is entirely happy with it. It can't be. It surely can't be. He's a, he's a savvy guy. I mean, it maybe is the case, Melly, that, you know, Celtic couldn't get deals done or they left that a wee bit late in the window. It's it's difficult to pinpoint because a bit like Stephen, I find it difficult to accept that maybe Celtic didn't want or Brendan Rodgers didn't want at least a left back. You know, these are positions where he's spoken about Bernabe not being too comfortable defending. It's obvious that Greg Taylor struggles a bit in that position. And then Joe Hart as well. He's got one year left his contract. He's getting on. I think the goalkeeper thing was perhaps the fact that we couldn't move Segrist on. And Joe Hart was quite happy to see out the rest of his contract here. So you're not going to have four keepers on the books. That's maybe a bit too much. And maybe no good keepers came up. But I, a bit less even that you can only speculate as to why. But I just don't, I don't think Brendan Rodgers is happy with, with his lot there. Brendan Rodgers has sort of made comments along the lines of wanting to improve things, maybe moving into the January window already. He started talking about that. But I, I don't see him, I don't see him being happy. Couldn't get it over the line. Tough time of the year to do business. <laughs> so all, all the usual. But I think the on the goalkeeper side of it, I think maybe his uh, maybe his perception changed along along the way. I think for me, I thought it was one of the key positions we needed. But that was before we lost Jota, Starfelt, Moy. So things start to change very quickly. But I always thought it's better to get a keeper before he starts making mistakes and. Like we spoke about towards the end of last season, Joe Hart was creaking a bit, so I thought it was a time to strengthen. But with all the other work we needed to do, it probably became more pressing the outfield position rather than the goalkeeper one. Because for Joe Hart, look, Celtic don't get a lot of shots domestically, but the sort of leadership and everything else he brings maybe puts him ahead of other targets in there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think maybe Brendan thought, look, do you know what? I maybe need somebody with experience right now because I'm bringing in new centre-halves, I'm bringing in new central midfielders, so maybe that's what kept Joe Hatton. I still think it needs addressed January minimum. I don't think we can leave it to uh, the end of the season. But the left back thing I thought was the 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 biggest one for me. The sort of not a red well, I it would be a red flag because it's something we looked at last season. Burnaby hasn't worked out at all. He doesn't look good. Even Brendan Rogers coming in and playing a different style where he maybe uses a more attacking fullback. One of the first things he's done was highlight Burnaby's and his deficiencies. So I think mm -hmm. that was something we had to do. Do we just go that look? It's a four million pound player. You need to try and get something out of him. It's been a year. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think again, like the goalkeeper one, didn't look too bad at the start of the season. The left one, left back one, looked really pressing. Greg Taylor has a how pressing do they look now? Now that we've played Rangers at Ibrox, now that we've got possibly the most difficult game of of the season out of the way. Does it look any less pressing? Because to me, I'm thinking back to Brendan Rodgers first and the goalkeeper was always a sort of issue there. We sort of muddled through with Craig Gordon that we brought in Doris De Vries who, who just couldn't make an impact at all. A winner they weekend. Uh, they made an impact, aye. but not a good one. Uh, well, I guess I saw him. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I was I was getting a coffee somewhere, and he, he's sitting outside this cafe, and I didn't know he was in the Masters. I didn't know who the teams yeah. were for this Masters thing. And I'm like, that, that that's Doris De Vries. I'm like, can he be? And I'm like... And he was with his family and honestly his dad saw me looking at him about eight times because his dad just kept looking at him. I'm like, why? Why? I'm like, why? I'm going through my head. I'm like, why? I even put in the Discord. I'm sure I just walked by Doris DeVries and I was like, ah, he's, here. he's here for the Masters. A pal, of mine, the Masters. a pal of mine was on the, uh, a flight with Joe Ledley today 
uh, flying mm. down to Bristol said he couldn't walk said that's the last time he's ever taken part in one of them is absolutely <laughs> muscle <laughs> did so, you see Chris Commons look oh. we're not going down that we're not going down that road we're not going down that particular road however I was sh- shocked I was I was shocked Every, when I saw Chris Commons that was always in the cards for him wasn't it have we it was any always questions there. about bringing Gary Hooper back for a three-month contract? Or <laughs> no, we, that, don't no? Have any, we don't have any. I don't know where that's came from. I don't know where that Gary Hooper thing's came from, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I, I saw it in Glasgow Live and then Football Scotland, but I eventually deleted the tweet because I think someone phoned in like the Daily Record hotline, supposedly, and went, get Gary Hooper back for a three-month contract. And three then it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just spiralled from there as if it's a no-brainer. He said, in fairness to people who are... Who, indulging this kind of thing he said after the game very tongue in cheek he was actually laughing as he said it to get Brendan on the phone you know, get, get me, I've not got a club anymore so get Brendan on the phone I'll come and sit on the bench he was saying jokey things like that but of course people are absolutely running with it and um, that, that bring him back on a three month contract and all that kind of stuff so uh, I, I do know hey, the, the, the last day last time he played for was Neil Lennon out there in Cyprus yeah, oh, yeah that's right so he's not he's not really played anything approaching like the proper top level for about five years but he's and we got a tweet today saying oh he's only 35 I don't see the problem <laughs> he, would do, <laughs> he would do a job but it's it's not unique uh, I think we are maybe maybe we in particular as a support kind of love this type of thing we're, we're a nostalgic bunch at heart and I remember it's a romantic story yeah, isn't it it's, I remember Henrik Larsson scored in, in a, a some sort of testimonial or one of these legends games. He was about forty six, and people were still saying, "Oh, do you know what? I think he could still do a job for us." <laughs> it's, it's a right romantic story, isn't it? The thought that, like, I don't know, like Dembele would come back at thirty five because w- uh, that happens. Because I think what we are missing out on is that particular football story because it happens quite a lot. There's Ramos just went back to Seville at thirty five yeah, years right. old. Do you know what I mean? Johnny Evans. We, Johnny Evans former back Celtic at Man target, U. Johnny Evans. Yeah, back, back, back at um, Brendan Rogers, former captain, yeah. no less. Johnny Evans. But we we're kind of missing that get older player coming back just at the tail end of his career when he's still got a bit to offer us. Aren't we? Who was the last player to even do that for us? Charlie Nicholas, Maloney, <laughs> and Kane Maloney. Sure, sure Maloney, I suppose did. He was only away for about a year and a half or aye. something, was he not? Uh, so aye, aye. I, I, it must have been a while. It must be a while since we've had something like that. Maybe, maybe we can get some examples going in the chat. Get involved, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, aye, so we're kind of missing out on that. But we've had lots of other stories, but we've missed we've missed out on the old former hero coming back for one dynamite season. <laughs> Um, just, Alex O'Donnell uh, just oh, before sorry, we move on Jenny you asked about uh, Greg Taylor and has that position sort of changed since the Rangers game and uh, after beating them and well, I don't think it has I don't think the the Rangers game really proved much to Celtic what we were struggling with was breaking teams down and are we going to learn much from this team against Rangers because that's not really what we're going to have to do in that game so I think with the left back situation it will show more in the games against St Johnston, Kilmarnock, Ross County that we don't have a left back that's willing to go beyond or get that pace to take somebody on and whip in across. So I think it will be those games where it, it's shown up more. But even in the Rangers game, Greg, uh, Greg Taylor's best thing is he's passing. He was passing the ball out the pitch under very little pressure or under pressure. So what good's that to us? I know, but I just think that with other areas, as you said, the outfield areas were really addressed, and I thought they were pressing. But I'm not. I'm not so panicked about them. I suppose is what I'm saying after seeing the Rangers game. See, to be honest, that was see, when we were getting prepped for this podcast. I'm sitting there and I was thinking to myself, like, 
I still can't believe we won that game. I, know, <laughs> I still, nah. I still can't believe that game panned out the way it panned out. I suppose it's it's probably important not to get too carried away with one result though, because it was a nah. great result and a great performance to get that over the line in such, you know, such adversity. Such Stephen, you know, shh, the Bears might hear yeah. you. They're <laughs> so, getting carried away about this game. Far from ideal circumstances, so many players out. We, we were counted out, including among the fans. I, I put my hands up and said, I, I thought it was going to be a disaster, right? So I, I don't think we should get carried away in that we've completely unlearned the things that we'd learned in the previous games this season and maybe even stuff that we we already knew about certain players. We already knew that guys who were involved in that game, yes, they turned up on the day and I congratulate them and I thank them for that. We, we couldn't have done it without them. But I don't think that having Turnbull and Scales and guys like that in the squad are, is going to be ideal going forward. So I don't want to get too carried away. It, it was brilliant. Hugely enjoyable and still is to this day because we've had a whole international break to sit and glory, <laughs> sit and wallow in it, or uh, rather, uh, revel in wallow it. in their misery, wallow yeah. in their yeah, and revel in it. And so it has been great, but I'd, there's there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done, and I don't think the goalkeeper and left back thing changes that. Yes, it's less of an emergency. It's less of an urgency. I would agree with that. But Joe Hart's still thirty six. He's older than he was last week, so we're going to have to get we're going to have oh to get God. on with that at some point. We need a new keeper at some point. I'm not. I don't think it's an emergency. I think we'll be fine this season, but it's something that's going to need to be addressed at some point because none of the keepers come next summer. None of the keepers that are currently in the squad are going to be fit for purpose at all. Joe Hart's going to be gone. Yeah. Scott Bain's still going to be Scott Bain. He's still going to be the third choice or second choice keeper. It doesn't really matter. And Seacrest is going to be gone, we imagine. So it needs done at some point. It just might. It would have been nice to see it this summer, but January, I would say, is probably more pressing now. I was quite annoyed about the, the transfer window, but as time's gone on, and as I say, that Rangers result, I mean, obviously, if we go into Europe, get absolutely walloped with 90% of our goals coming down the left back position and Joe Hart <laughs> yeah. throwing three in the back of the net I'll be on the next flagship podcast on fire um, <laughs> literally on fire with rage about it but the more that, the more it goes on I just think I think you said it Stephen it's unlikely that you're going to get everything you want in one transfer window yeah. um, my, my, my only worry is that maybe perhaps Brendan Rodgers not only to get things he got none of he'd he missed out on things he actually wanted. He he got too many of the things he didn't want at the same time. And that in itself um, is quite an odd position to be in because that, again, that's not something we should ignore now because we came into this uh, summer transfer window full of optimism and full of confidence about how this is the best position we've been in for years. And now fast forward six seven weeks and we're like, Whoa, squads full of holes. How have we managed to do this? So that is still an odd position that we've somehow managed to work ourselves into here and it does need fixed at some point. However, the Rangers game, I, I wouldn't use the, I certainly wouldn't use the term papered over the cracks because I think that's very unkind, but you know what mm. I mean? It has kind of, it has eased off the pressure a little bit. Of, it certainly has for me. Yeah, of, it has things, for me. of things that, but I think it's probably taking the attention away from problems that are still there, just on, just bubbling just under the surface. None of them are properly urgent, but they are still there. We'll need to fix them at some point, yeah. Next up, we have a question from Alex Donnelly. said, what would it take for an SPFL manager to make the jump to Celtic? Who was the last or the next manager that you think will be accepted by Celtic fans? And he did caveat, but we can't fit it in this little text box. He says, no, I'm not talking about Neil Lennon here. So... The, SPFL is a weird one, isn't it? Because, and I think we've got another question about the league later on. I think the SPFL is mostly made up of chairmen no really know what they're doing, hiring poor managers, allowing those poor managers to make poor signings and poor decisions being made at all levels of the club, which means that the clubs aren't really pushing on and no one's really standing out as a manager. 
Um, there's nobody right now, is there Melly in the SPFL that you consider for the Celtic position? No, the two guys that are doing well are Stuart Kettlewell and Stephen Robinson at St Mirren and there's just no way Celtic go for those guys. There's been guys in the past like Tony Mowbray, Owen Coyle, that sort of thing that have had that Celtic connection. But it, nice it, to feels, the name. Uh, it feels like a long, long time ago now. Like Even guys like Paul Heckenbottom were laughed out of Hibs and that and he's managing in the Premier League somehow now but I never thought get him in at Celtic and it's it's quite a sad indictment of the league as well that looking at the league no managers I'd take I don't think there's many if any players that I'd take so I think Scottish football well the Scottish national team is doing really well now it's because we've got established players there now but I don't Would see Would you take Steve Clark? No Is he the closest? Probably the closest mm-hmm. but it's just not the type of football you need at Celtic unfortunately maybe if you wanted to try and have a tilt at European success but I don't even think he guarantees that I'd rather watch guys like Ange and Brendan Rodgers try to do it so I think Steve Clark maybe would do a decent job but I don't think many people would be happy with the standard of football but I just think it just shows that Scottish football we're in a, a weird flux now where the national team's doing well but the, the league isn't there's not many play, young players coming through it many teams at all hopefully that the fact that young players are going down and cutting their teeth down south means they'll be better in the long run but right now I don't see many Scottish teams with an identity I don't see many Scottish teams with forward thinking ideas that I think do you know what maybe that'll bring through players for them maybe there'll be a host of young players coming through because these guys just sign guys that will finish just above them or just below them. There'll be guys on one-year contracts. There'll be a lack of players brought through. And just the the Scottish football, the Scottish league lacks identity for me. It should be a league where you can come, play young players and flourish. But we don't see any young players playing. Interesting appointment by Hibs, Stephen. They brought Nick Montgomery from the A-League, won the championship championship last year. But they've obviously seen that you know, Ange comes to Celtic as a massive roaring success. He's setting the he's setting the Premier League alight down south. Everyone's loving him down there the same that they love them here. Hibs have tried something different, but I mean, how many managers have Hibs had in the last couple of years, all oh, the way yeah. back to Jack Ross? It's five and seven years, maybe, or something like they've had, or, or something along those lines, anyway. But they've certainly went down a, a, an interest. They've got a league-winning manager in now mm. in the in the A League, and certainly comparable league to the SPFL as as we've been talking about when we were scouting. What's the boy's name, Stephen? He's completely escaped my head. Oh, Tilio? Uh, Tilio, yeah. yeah. We, uh, you know, when we were scouting Tilio, Alex, Euro expert says, you know, the SPFL and the A-League, they're not that dissimilar. So Hibs went down an interesting route and I'm interested to see how they got on. But apart from that, I, I, there's just, there's just, they just can't, there's just there's such a disparity, isn't there? Yeah. In quality and also disparity in money and what these clubs can offer. Yeah. That they're just not going to attract anyone realistically that Celtic would be casting an eye over. No, I, I suppose that um, like, Hibs always appoint quite interesting managers. They always have for the last like probably 10 years or so. It doesn't always work out for them as is evidenced right now because they've had to have to sack another guy. But they, at least they do try and think somewhat outside the box when it comes to Scottish football appointments. They don't really go for the, the, the absolute standard. You know, like they would probably... If it was any other club, they'd just sack Lee Johnson and go for like Terry Butcher or something like that, or just Yogi Hughes, or just one of these guys. You know what I mean? It's, but they do tend to go for 
at least very high profile managers, guys who have something of a standing in the game. You could It's a double edged sword that though, isn't it? A wee bit because we, we sort of uh, we as well as a lot of people would be quite sniffy at, for example, if Hibbs went out and get John Hughes, you'd be thinking, What are you guy what are you doing? The guy's not done anything in the game for years. But the difference between John Hughes and say for instance Lee Johnson is that John Hughes has done it in Scotland and he's yeah. won cups and he's and he's got league teams promoted and all that sort of stuff. So he kind of he knows what it takes but managers just kind of fall in and out of fashion don't they and sometimes I think Hibs in particular sometimes try to be too clever maybe. with our managerial appointments yeah maybe I, think, I mean I'm casting there will be blanks in there there will be gaps in the sort of lineage of this but I'm thinking back to like, even the likes of Alan Stubbs was re- relatively successful mm. there and he's not really done much since off, off the top of my head Neil Lennon of course uh, was, yeah. was a Maloney you know, a, Maloney Interesting, you know what I mean? It didn't work out for him, but it was a it was a bold appointment to go for a guy like Maloney. And you know, Lee Johnson hasn't worked out, of course. And this is just a, yet another. Again, I'm, I'm using the word quite often, but it's a, it's an interesting appointment. It's not it's not bog standard. It's not dull. It's not predictable. So at least they deserve credit for that. What would it take for an SPFL manager to make the jump to Celtic? I, I'm not bothered about trophies. Like being hypothetical here, imagine in a scenario mm. in which a manager is appointed from, let's say, a Hibs. And again, I'm I'm removing all names from this, so I'm not talking about the guy they've just they've just promoted here. So if the guy was to make the jump from Hibs to Celtic, I'm not that bothered about trophies because Callum Davidson won a couple of trophies with St. Johnson, which was an yeah. incredible achievement. But does it make me set up and should take I left? Should, should I quit right. at the top? Yeah. Uh sh- does that make me sit up and take notice and think, well, we we could be doing my girl at that Celtic? No, absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being like dismissive. I'm not trying not to be patronising here, but I don't want Callum Davidson. So I'm not impressed by trophies. What I've always said in the last couple of years, and especially about Ange, when he was first touted, I mean, we completely rolled our eyes at that. I mean, the name just came out of nowhere and we scoffed at it. But as soon as you, it's 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 the responsibility of the individual to go and look into what this guy brings to the table and after I did that I thought right this could be this could be pretty special here if if things work out for him so I'm more interested as I said with Ange I'm more interested in the ideas that these guys bring to the table because I, d- I don't think it's necessarily true that the manager is of the same level as his team because that doesn't really make sense if Pep Guardiola was to take over Hibs he wouldn't have, they wouldn't win the Champions League they wouldn't win the no, he's taking over England next up <laughs> well, that's, that's right so it's the, the the manager doesn't bring the team up or down to his or, or the level that's not really how it works it's about whether his ideas can be put into into work at a, a particular team for that to happen in Scotland, I'd need to be blown away. And I think the fan base as a whole would need to be completely blown away by the, the football that they're playing, what they can what that manager can achieve and can display within the restraints of their particular, you know, budgets, resources and all that. If they can play extraordinary football in Scotland, that yeah. might get you noticed but does it get you I mean the wording of that question as well would be accepted by Celtic fans nothing there's nothing you can do that, that a Scottish team that would have you accepted by the majority so of the sure. Celtic fans you would get Aye. some but you would you would also get a lot of people saying you know it's it's not it's not a you know big enough appointment not, not a Celtic man and yeah. all that sort of stuff so, I, I don't know I think I think if there was a team that came in and they like you say they had that identity like if someone came into Hibs like and was like a mini Deserby like you could see what they were doing you could see yes. the sort of player he was signing you could see the team had an identity you could see the team played an on the front attacking style of football like there, there's, a, there's an alternative universe here where Ange gets the Hibs job and you know like just that sort of style of manager who just goes for it. Yeah, I think Celtic fans would watch that. Depending on who's in the Celtic hot seat as well, 
You know, if yeah. we've got a if we've got a pretty conservative manager, say for example, we end up with a manager who plays a sort of style like Steve Clark or Gordon Strachan, a, quite a conservative style, and then we're looking across the country in Hibs or Hearts or or Aberdeen at least. I don't think we'd drop any lower than that. But they've got a manager who's really on the front foot, who's really playing with style. I think Celtic fans would think this guy's worth a punt. Yeah. I, I think the majority of Celtic fans would think this guy's worth a punt. You're right, you would have the usual naysayers, but as you as you pointed out about Ange, like there was naysayers about Ange. Oh, yeah. So just so you just need to go and sort of do your homework on that one. But I think if someone brought a real spark, and that's really what these clubs need to do, not just for Celtic to cherry pick the manager, but for their own fans. You know, there's no point in bringing in a safe pair of hands. You you like the David Martindale appointment, as far as I'm concerned, like <laughs> I, we're la- and okay, he keeps you in the league. Ages, he? I, he keeps you in the league. Okay, cool sound. But does he have a brand? Does he have a style of football? Does he play in any particular way? No, really. He's not bringing anything. He's not bringing anything to the league. He's not creating a team that people want to watch. But I think if someone came in and did that, like Nick Montgomery for talking sake, if he does it at Hibs, I think Celtic fans would be on board with that well, sort of appointment. The stage is set for somebody like this again in an entirely hypothetical scenario because I don't think this is actually what's going to happen. But if you can imagine for a second that we know what it's like to go to Celtic Park and experience what we generally play against, that's a common theme through all of the opposition, most of the opposition in Scotland. Right? You do get the odd team that makes it difficult for you. But say, for example, one of these people that were sort of imagining just now was to bring a team to Celtic Park because that's what's going to get your attention how how many Celtic fans actually watch the likes of Hibs and Hearts and St Mirren play their regular domestic games you know it's very doubtful I certainly don't catch a lot of it but if you were to bring a team to Celtic Park and absolutely blows away even beat a Celtic team at Celtic Park playing amazing football pushes onto the back foot straight away in kind of the way you can imagine an Ange doing like bringing a Hibs to Celtic Park and just going straight for mm. us going straight for the throat that's that's some of the way to maybe being noticed for a Celtic job but very very difficult it's always going to be very difficult because as much as all these hypothetical things were thrown kind of thrown at the wall here it's actually quite difficult to achieve that you know, given how yeah, domestic is- how, how dominant Celtic are domestically so if you were able to, if you were able to combine all those things and really really impress us at Celtic Park you need to be a nut job don't yeah. you because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're playing with your career you need to be uh, an yeah. absolute screwball to yeah. come to your hibs and go do you know what Forget pragmatism. I'm just going to fucking go for it. And just a bit like that. Yeah. And just a bit in that mode. Oh. But you would you would need to be an absolute screwball. There are managers out there that do it. Like with John Hughes. Do you mm, know what I mean? He's yeah. a guy that wants to actually play football. So there's there's that. But you you it would take a big set of cojones. Melly, just just a on the subject of managers. Cody Mitchell also asked us for our thoughts on Fleetwood sacking Scott Brown and replacing him with Lee Johnson. I was amazed at that appointment. Lee Johnson. Did well to sneak out of Hibs and immediately get appointed. And Scott well, Brown, I thought, would have been in for, in for a shout with the Hibs job. But what do you think it leaves his managerial options? What an option, Giacomo Johnson. Uh, option agent, Giacomo Johnson's got, by the way. Yeah, How I know. Does he, out, out <laughs> I know. He laughed out of Easter Road a in the week later. Days and he ends up there. So, fair play to him. Uh, Scott Brown, uh, it's his first job. So, I think somebody else will take a punt on him. Fleetwood was a tough one I think for him it's one of those teams that what is success for them is staying in the league enough are they good enough to push for a playoff I don't think so so uh, I think he'll have learned a lot I think it's 
going to be good for him in the long term. I think he'll try and get a job elsewhere. Maybe he turns to it and says, I want to go another stab at it. Maybe he says, I want to be a coach. But I think one of the good things that maybe comes of it is it looks very unlikely he'll ever be linked to a Celtic job in the any time soon. And mm-hmm. that, that Scott Brown is his next Celtic manager. It just doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. Now, it might do one day, but it just puts that further away. And even rumours of it are, are far gone now. So It didn't really strike me as manager, manager material. No disrespect to Scott Brown. Group, good player and all that sort of yeah, stuff. I think but he'd be a good coach, but I just yeah. don't see management being the one for him. I just, he was never a strong communicator. And I think to be a good manager, you need to be a strong communicator. Ah, well, I suppose he, he always had his sort of public persona that he, that he gave off. I think he might be different behind the scenes. I think he's probably quite a. He's, I mean, he, I, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know him at all. But he's always struck me as the kind of guy who's probably more articulate and more open behind the scenes. And he's always a wee bit kind of cheeky with the media. So that's all we can really go by. A, a good communicator on the pitch. And I suppose that's what matters. Uh, I. I I suppose the best thing for him and the worst thing for him would be to be like, you know, Brendan Rodgers brings him up the road and has him working under him. But where's what's the appointment? Because he's got an assistant. He's got a, he's got Harry Kugler. Yeah. So where does Scott Brown go? I've seen it suggested. It'd be great to just have him in the club anyway, so we could stick him in the youth. That's not a that's not a career move for Scott Brown. He's been his own manager. He's already. done that. So he's already done that. So I don't see any of those things. But I, I think in many ways that would be actually good for him but it can't happen because of what's happened previously. It can't go back the way. I don't think it would be a, a bit of an admission of kind of coming crawling back to Celtic where, where it's safe for me. So I don't, he'll be aware of that. I don't think he'll do that. So uh, I, I, I think when it comes to being linked to Celtic, that's, that's a long way off as, as you say, Melly. But when Fleetwood have sacked Scott Brown for Lee Johnson, that's maybe an unfair way to look at it because I don't think that it's necessarily that, well, we've got Scott Brown, he's doing really well, but we'd rather have Lee Johnson. I think we, we need to remember <laughs> no one that. Wants, no one would rather have Lee Johnson. <laughs> well, in this case, they they do, but I don't think it's in, uh, necessarily a, a, you know, a, a slant at, at, at Scott Brown. And the fact is, he's a, an absolutely brand new manager who has done okay. But it's what they've done here is they've appointed the guy to try and arrest a slide, which is a terrible, terrible start to the season. Is is Lee Johnson going to be the guy who propels them to the next level and gets them up the leagues? Probably not. But is he, is Kenny turn it around just now in the short term? Maybe because he's a far more, despite the fact we're kind of laugh at him, he's a far more experienced manager than Scott Brown is, and Scott Brown has just some kind of come up short in his first job. So I'm sure he'll be back. He, may, he kind of needs to. He kind of needs to just go back to the drawing room, find a good place for him to be. Fleetwood, I think, was a good move. He did well in his first season. He had a, like a, one of their best ever runs. I think he maybe even the best ever run in the cup mm. for Fleetwood. So he did okay. Finished 13th, I think, 13th, I think, in the first season, which probably the target would have been to stay up. So that's a good achievement, but it's just terribly. It start, started absolutely abysmally this season and they kind of need to do something about it. So it's a shame, but I'm sure he'll be back. Hopefully not think, Scotland though. I, I wouldn't like to see him in one of these jobs because I think it's a dead end for, for it is a like dead. That. I, was, I was about yeah. to say that as well. I think Scotland is a bit of a dead end for managers because you've come, it's like last chance saloon, isn't it? You need to do extraordinarily well in Scotland and then even Lee Johnson's shown that even if you do, nobody really pays attention to Scotland, really. Because mm. if you yeah. do well or you don't, Either you're going to end up with a job, or it's it's as you say, it's a bit of a dead end, and it's like almost a sort of admission of defeat, isn't it? A wee bit coming yeah. finding these managers coming back to Scotland. Hold up. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Public service announcement. Attention all my bearded troops out there from stubble to mane. If you didn't already know, Manscaped now sells beard products. You heard that correctly. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming changed the game with their Beard Hedger Pro Kit. And now they're going a step further with their brand new Handyman, an electric face shaver for quick and convenient way to achieve a clean-shaven look. Whether you're going to sharpen up your neckline or give your face a smooth finish, the Handyman has got you covered. Go to manscaped.com and use code TIMS for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to go from 5 o'clock shady yeah baby no one likes a weird beard so say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Beard Hedger the Beard Hedger is a high tech piece of art in a travel size package with a long lasting battery universal charging and a strong motor your face is your first impression and your beard is your most important accessory so make sure you have the right tool for the job with the Beard Hedger looking for something dare I say smoother look no further than Manscaped's new handyman face shaver hey Stephen yes Jamie You've got a travel size package. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIMS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code TIMS. Hit the refresh button with Manscaped. Melly, Paul Fagan's asking, sticking with the SPFL questions, is do you think the lack of quality across the SPFL is the biggest barrier and growth to the development of Celtic? I've had to cut some of these questions short to fit them on the screen. Eh, uh, I think the biggest barrier to growth and development of Celtic is Celtic. To be honest, I think we see well. 
Maybe. I think it's partly the league because players get sick of playing Ross County four times a season. After about two seasons, the guys that come over and make an impact will probably think, and look, I've, I've been there and done it. And we always talk about when you win a treble at Celtic, brilliant for the fans, but what do players think about that? Do they go, look, I've pretty much done it here? So I think the... Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think Celtic hold a barrier to it, but I think the lack of quality across it does. I think playing the same teams all the time, playing the same style all the time, where you like we we're talking about with the managers coming in. You said it takes cojones to go to Celtic Park and go for it. I, I think it takes a plan, and I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of the managers here have it. I think Nick Montgomery coming to Hibs, he might be a good manager, but. Is every manager that fails at Hibs a bad manager or is there something in the background not working for Hibs? Because they're like this all the time and there's no way you can keep getting it wrong with managers. So Nick Montgomery might come in with an idea, but if they're giving him terrible players all the time or not providing them with what he needs, then what, what more can he do? So I think it does have a barrier Celtic because we find it when we go into Europe, we get caught by these teams unaware all the time as if what's this counter-attacking thing you're doing to us? What's this keeping the ball that you're doing? We're not used to it. And I think Celtic can try and do more to push themselves beyond. But I think the league as well, we see it when other teams go into Europe. Look, all the teams that were playing in Europe, the only reason any of them are still in Europe is because they had a fallback. None of them qualified for any mm. uh, difficult fixtures. As soon as it got difficult for them, they all get beat and quite handsomely beat. Aberdeen fell into the Conference League because that's where they were going to go. They didn't win to get in there. So I think it, I, I think the league has a, a lot to offer here. I think it should do a lot better. Celtic could do a lot more, but I think it's maybe 60-40 in the league. You sort of get the feeling, Stephen, that, that Scottish football needs to find a niche, doesn't it? Yeah. Because we're not really offering up much to the television companies. We all have the moan about Sky and Sky's coverage of Scottish football sometimes can be pretty abysmal. I think it's getting slightly better this season from what I've seen so far. Certainly Chris Sutton's a, a, a decent addition, but it's all very perfunctory. But as Melly's saying, and it's a point that Paul makes, when you're looking at the players that are brought through, the standard of football, the standard of manager, you're just like, it's all... There's nothing to get excited about mm. sometimes and, and Scottish football should have something to offer because all these lower leagues in England do. Yeah, it's, I mean, we're dealing with the constant unhelpful comparisons to England. That's the thing. Because of the geographical links to it, that we're always kind of compared against England. But England has had the promotional might of all these companies, including Sky, behind it for decades now. And they've, they've done a, an incredible job of promoting it as, the, as they now call it, the greatest show on earth. Um, English football we've just sort of bumbled along slagging ourselves off at every opportunity and mm. just sort of I don't know we, we, we're, a, we're the best unpromoters of our own game it's, it's I mean look at how we've killed it. look how we've killed the Glasgow Derby uh, yeah. I mean that was almost the last thing we had to offer the biggest thing we, we had going for, for the game here was oh I mean it's Rangers fault that, that, that it's well twice twice it's Rangers fault that it's on its arse once by mismanaging themselves into oblivion being liquidated in the first place and then the second lot have binned the, the spectacle of the derby of the new branded derby itself yeah, that's right. it. <laughs> so I so it's it's not really Celtic's fault um, well not chiefly Celtic's fault that, that Scottish football has has never really fully developed and never really built upon what the good things are about it so I think to to now change that around in the face of things like England and 
the threat of super leagues and Saudi Arabian league and all that. I feel like everything's just running away from it. Is from do you think that? it's holding Celtic back? Do you think do you know if if, if Scottish football got its arse in gear? Get rid of things like plastic pitches for toxic. Right. Well, you know what I mean? Just yeah. if, if we all get, I don't think you can really expect that from, you know, as a Celtic fan, you can't turn around to everyone else and say, hey, look, going to stop being so no, shite because I, yeah. we want to be better. No. But again, somebody mentioned this to us before about, I think it's the Dutch League. They have like a fund where all the teams pay into the fund or the top teams proportionally pay into a fund and it goes to main, maintaining grass pitches across the whole league. I'm yeah. sure it's the Dutch League that do that. Even small things like that brought into Scotland. I mean, you'd have to prize that plastic pitch at Derek McInnes's cold, dead hands. You know, yeah. he would—he's going to—he'd chain himself to the gates, <laughs> less a bulldozer turn up there. So, uh, you know, good best of luck with that because yeah. that's worth about thirty points a season to him. So, I don't know how much money you'd have to pay him, but just things like that, just wee things to improve the league, improve the product overall. I, do you necessarily think that would push Celtic on? I, I, I get what Paul's saying. Personally, I think the gap already is too big. I don't mm. think there's anything the rest of the league could do to push Celtic on. I think we're already too big. Our uh, our, um, our main source of income, the thing that pushes us on the most as a club, yeah. is European football. Domestic football is just a means to an end to get there. Unless Rangers suddenly get their act together, which they might do, because let's be honest, they can't keep hiring crap managers. So eventually they're going to end up with a decent manager I think that's the only thing that would push Celtic on Yeah I'm very reluctant to blame the rest of Scottish football for, for Celtic not being able to just fire further over the horizon away from them because that, that's a, a very unfair way to look at it and I suppose if you if you were to have a representative of a, a smaller club or even a lower league club on here what they would probably suggest is some sort of wealth redistribution why does Celtic keep all the money when really we, we can't keep all the money and then complain about the teams below is yeah. having absolutely no money and no resources and shite plastic pitches and all that we can't really have it both ways but, I know but then they spend on crap yes, don't they we've yeah. had it. This, is the, this is the circular argument yeah. we've had this on the podcast well, we say we need to help them out we we, we we say we get all the money, they don't get any. And then you look at Hibs and you go, how many managers have you paid off? Like, you, I mean, yeah. honestly, that that's millions and millions and millions of pounds you've paid off in managers. And then Lee Johnson signed all these players and didn't play any of them. So you've wasted all this money in player. It's, it's like, it's almost like the money isn't enough for these clubs. What they need is like a knowledge centre, a knowledge base. You know, for example, Ange and Brendan need to put on a coaching class every month. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, so I'm kind of being, yeah, well, mean, being semi-facetious and Celtic need to show these clubs, here's how you organise a footballing department. Here's how you t- t- talent, here's talent ID. You know, th- this is probably what these clubs need more than they need handouts and money because it's the infrastructure that lets these guys I, down more than it is the lack of available funds a lot of the time. I see all those managers I listed earlier at Hibs. They're probably all still on the books. They're probably still under oh, the Hibs contracts. Alan Stubbs is still here. That's why he's not watching. Many of them so. were. <laughs> many, they said that on the BBC podcast when they were talking about sacking Lee Johnson before. I'm sure they were talking about sacking the, the last manager. They says, well, they can't sack him because they've already got two managers on gardening leave yeah. and the full coaching staff. And see, see they're the, paying three full coaching staffs at one point, yeah. Hibs. And the difficulty with the redistribution of wealth is that right, if Celtic do, I mean, what we need to remember is that Celtic are a gigantic club in Scottish football terms, but they're a, a European minnow now, right? And I'm not talking about fan bases and all that. I'm talking about I'm talking about resources. We're an absolute, we're a tiny, tiny fish in that pond now. Uh, so we are talking about probably wealth redistribution, which might be in the whatever seven figures that we give away to. Um, 
Scottish football to help them out and not have plastic pitches and all that. But we are on the absolute cusp of European Champions League irrelevance, right? And I, mm-hmm. I don't like to use blunt terms like that about our own club here, but we're we're on the brink of not being able to get near the Champions League and they're, they're, they're just edging it further and further away from clubs like us all the time. They don't really want us there. If we start making less money because we're spreading it through Scotland, what we might find is that we kind of get near that or we're getting even further away from that. So there's less money to distribute through Scotland. So the system that I have completely made up in my head doesn't work anyway. So I don't think it's a viable option. We might, do quite well. we might do quite well in the Champions League this year. You know, we've, yeah. got, a, we've got a group that we've all got eyes on. We've got questions about it. So I but no, I know you're saying five million quid to Scottish clubs. <laughs> 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 and they've spent it on crap. I went, oh, great, we can sign another four managers. <laughs> Somebody's giving uh, Charlie Adam another contract. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hi. Uh, there's a question from Jamie TMT. Oh. That's me. Oh, hi. Um, hello. Uh, do, you think, uh, do you think we should just be the bigger team and give that lot their allocation back, Melly? Well, see, you'd like to think you just go, nah, just give them nothing. But well, I think it's the best bit about the derby is that second when you score, but also that split second you remember they're there and you turn to them and you give them it stinking. So I think if we could give them a couple of thousand, it's so hard because I want to give them nothing. But at the same time, if we absolutely big dog them and go, do you know what? Here's a couple of thousand and you can't do that for us and we'll still beat you home and away as we could do this season. I think it would just show it. Let's get this sorted, man. It was them that stopped it. Hopefully it can be us that put the ball back in their court because even if we gave them an allocation of a couple of thousand the next game I wouldn't expect them to give us anything I wouldn't expect wouldn't put it past them to give us anything but I think they're trying to ruin this spectacle of the game it's backfiring again because it just shows you've got 50,000 angry bears when their team aren't playing well against us so I think they've they've blown it completely they've got nowhere else to go with it so let's Celtic just give them an allocation and try and sort this out because it's crap it's terrible I will say the the 3-0 game and that night in February was probably the best derby I've ever been to. The atmosphere was electric, but... As soon as you turned up Celtic Park, you knew they were on there hiding. Yeah, yeah but the... <laughs> it was one like of those nights. The one last season when, like, Tavernier scores that free kick, that's usually the bit where the Celtic fans get G'd up because they start to get... Uh, hear their fans cheer and then it gets us going. But yeah. when there's nobody there... You miss that, that you miss that gene yeah. up, and it's just an ex- expectation that you should go out and beat this team and g- get everything done. Sometimes you need that wee bit from the other the other crowd to get you going, and we just don't have that anymore. And for the spectacle, for people watching it on Sky Sports, I think it's embarrassing that there's not people there. So I'd like to see Celtic be forward thinking, but I, I don't think it would make a difference if we gave them tickets. So, so here's here's my logic. Here's my logic that. I think for a couple of reasons. One, you're right. They're not going to beat us anyway. So you want their fans on the ground to watch it. Secondly, it's the atmosphere. The atmosphere is always better with them in it. Thirdly, it makes it their problem, doesn't it, Steve? Yeah. Because we can just turn around and say, look, there's your tickets. Buy them if you want. I don't care. I don't care if they're in the stadium with no one. You know, if they're going to take the tickets and they know have us in the stadium at this point. We're not there anyway, so I'm not really too fussed about not getting the return tickets at this point. But it makes us, gives us the moral authority, it makes us look like a bigger, bigger person, so to speak. And we can say, look, they've got their tickets. If they don't want to get his tickets, that's fine. But it's it's not our fault that this is this Derby's getting canned. No, it, it, it's not. And I, I feel like 
all this stuff as well, all it's going to do is as soon as they do get back in the ground, whichever way, whether we give them tickets or whatever, we agree to go back to the normal allocations, which seems a complete, it's just a non-starter now because of how they've sold their season tickets and all that. They're giving themselves a perfect excuse. Oh, yeah, we just wanted to sell those season tickets that yeah. you used to get. Right? I just feel it's They can't hate- back out of this cul-de-sac. Ah, yeah, that's it. I feel like it's just heightening things to like a horrible degree again. So it's just, like, as soon as they get back in the, the ground, if there's going to be like 700 of them, some daft like that it's just going to we're going to ramp up the complaints about how it was a security concern and all, all this stuff and it's just I feel like it's just because we're it's almost like the the clubs no, well only one side are just sort of deliberately antagonising as now with this yes. sort of stuff it just feels like something something horrible is going to happen about it as well and I, I just I'm I'll be I'll be blunt here. I'm past caring about it. No, I I just I find it a completely tedious debate, and I think it's I think it's a, an embarrassment as Mela has just described it. I think it's I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ludicrous that we've done this to our own sport. Just shot ourselves in the foot yet again. But whether we be the bigger club and our bigger team and just give them the allocation, I I just, I'm I'm genuinely I'm genuinely just annoyed with the whole thing now. I'm genuinely just past caring. I, I've given up. I'm just like, well, I'll never go to iBooks again. I, I'm just sort of hmm. resigned myself to it, and I've kind of kind of resigned myself to the fact that derbies at home are just going to always be a bit strange. Kind of the the kind of odd atmosphere that Melly's just described there as well. But I, I I'm I don't care if they ever get back in now. I think it, I'm just so. I'm I'm just so bored with it, and I don't. You know, hmm. bored is the wrong word. I'm pissed off with it. If you know what I mean, it's, yeah, I'm bored's just, not a good word. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not bored about having to talk about it, but but it is. It's so tedious now that it's just become irritating. Just become irritating and antagonistic, as I said. So as I, I can't, I I can't bring it in myself within myself to actually care whether they get back in the stadium or not anymore because it's just become such a farce, such an absolute cartoon between the two clubs that you know just. We've made our bed now, lying it, so uh, I'm not really that bothered whether we do or don't. Rudy Anderson, it's Champions League time and you've had the chance to think about our group and digest the other's form. Let's hear your predictions. Wins, taking points off the other teams, are we qualifying? Um, so the Champions League is upon us. It all kicks off very soon. Martin Melly. We've all had a, we had a look at the league. We've had a look at the, the draw. We've all sort of agreed it's not it bad, as bad as it can be. We're going in, maybe we know the players that we wanted. We've not done all the business that we wanted to do. But as Stephen's fond of saying, you can only piss with the dick that you've got. <laughs> so that's what we're turning up to the dance with. Uh, I'm quite keen to see how Celtic got on. And I don't see any reason to go into this with anything other than optimism. No, I think... Uh... We have been the draw's been kind to us for a change. I think Feyenoord are the best team we could have got in uh, the top pot, so take that all day. It's just difficult because Celtic left everything so late that we could be going. We've got Dundee at the weekend, then we've got Feyenoord away, and you, that's probably one of the games you'd probably try and target. Yet we're going to have one game to blend in what. Three, four players, maybe give players starts. You don't know, Nat Phillip, Bernardo, eh, Palmer could all start these games. I don't know how Celtic are going to manage it all in such a short space of time, but I think the the thing I like about this group is I think Celtic will struggle. I think it'll be difficult, but I think that's going to be the case for every Champions it's League. Always, it's always difficult in the yeah. Champions it's, no it's never not been difficult in the no. Champions League for us, but it's no prevented us having a right good go at it. It's no prevented us having some fantastic European nights. It's no prevented us getting the odd scalp here and there, even though they're few and far between. So I think the Champions League being difficult 
nothing new for Celtic. No, but with this group, it doesn't seem like some horror ones we've had in the past where you're looking at going, see if we can get a win. I think Celtic can be competitive in every game here. Doesn't mean to say they'll get anything out every game, but I think we can go into these games and give it a go. The thing with the Champions League is, like we've seen with Real Madrid, Celtic played brilliant that night at Celtic Park and came away convincingly beaten. So the Champions League is sort of further away from us. These teams in here, why we don't think Atletico Madrid, maybe they're not like Real Madrid or Barcelona. They've started the season very, very well. So it's going to be difficult. Lazio went and beat Napoli away. Feyenoord are better than PSV, who absolutely scudded Rangers. So I think it, every game is going to be difficult. But this is what we're here for. We want to play with the big boys in the big league. So I'm looking forward to every game. I think I, I'd love a win. I would love a win in the Champions League. And I've grown up watching Martin O'Neill's teams and Gordon Stratton's teams, even Neil Lennon's first iteration. But Brendan Rodgers' Invincibles were a great team. Ange Postacoglu's team were a great team and they struggled in this. I think the gap's so massive now that getting a win in this would be brilliant. So I'd like to see... I'd hope Celtic can get four points and hope that it's can get them into the Europa League because this is the last time we'll get a, a shot at that. But I think with this group as well, it could be tight. Remember Rangers went through with five points or something stupid? They were spawny bastards that they are. <laughs> so I think a lot of the teams in this group will take points off each other. So if we can stay in in that race, I think we could maybe sneak through. Well, that's it, Steve. Come on, hit us with some positivity here. because well, Four I think... points is what I was going to say there, but that's, yeah. that's minimum. I think that's minimum. I think that would be a nice foundation uh, to, to build upon. Just don't get grannied in the group is what, <laughs> I, would, what I would suggest. I think four we points... Need to bring back these, we need to bring back that sort of Fortress Park head vibe uh, yeah, if, we're, uh, if we're going to get... We need to make Celtic Park a really difficult place none for away teams to come. None of that. <laughs> no, no. Yes, we're not, back, we're not piping anyone up the Celtic way any Goodness, longer. no. Uh, yeah, it's the... It's the standard, isn't it? It's the big cliche, isn't it? You want to win your home games and potentially try and sneak draws away from home. If you're particularly if you're one of the underdogs of the group, I think that's that's what you can aim for. But that's it's a big ask, and that, what would that be? Twelve points <laughs> when the, when the yes. three games and draw the draw the three away ones. I don't think that's I don't think it's plausible really. So. I, my predictions. I'm not going to through the whole group and predict each each game because I think that would that would be quite you know quite repetitive because it might get might get a bit samey but um I, I think that no I'm going to press you I'm going to press you for <laughs> first half predictions. and second <laughs> half number of corners results yes uh, <laughs> higher or lower than nine corners each game right. Melly just uh, mentioned something that, that was worth bringing up as well that Lazio haven't started the season well they haven't started they were they're on the bottom half of the table but they did beat uh, sorry Napoli away and they were they were the big surprise package. They were the team ever they wanted to win the Champions League last year. So they are they are in uh, common European football terms, name mugs at this level. So Lazio will be Might tough. Be them before though. Aye, but what, what do we really have in common with that? Do we have any players still there? Forest, Forest is prob- probably. Oh, well, the same. Well, I suppose the point is though nobody nobody thought we would win those games. No, it's no. not. About, it's not about the players. It's about the sort of level we're at and. Aye. and We've seen before that it's not all just oh these teams are better than us. It's we're definitely going to lose to them. I, I know that's more than likely what's going to happen. In recent history, shows you that's what's kind of going to happen. But look at the Shakhtar games last year. We left those games thinking we probably should have taken points. We probably should have beat them both games. Yeah, aye. Uh, yeah, there's always sure. those games, isn't these games crop up? Yeah. In these tournaments, particularly for Celtic, obviously I don't watch any other teams in the Champions League as closely as I watch us. But you get the feeling as a Celtic fan. 
there's always that game, all those two games of Champions League. We think, should have won that. Oh, we should have. I mean, the amount of chances. That's it. And you just want those to fall in your favour this year, don't you? Because they're going to come, those games are going to arrive this year. There's going to be those games that's on a knife edge for Celtic. I know it's difficult now when you're looking at the groups, as you say, three strong teams, but it was the same last year. That was three strong teams and we got those games and they were on a knife edge. You just need those to tilt in our direction. And there was even, not just the games sometimes, there's moments in games. You think can turn games now. There was plenty of moments in the Real Madrid game. That could have been 3-3 at half time, but it's... It's just it's it's you want to be there or thereabouts, and I think sometimes the difference is just small margins for us. Yeah, I, I think I think Celtic have proven over over many different teams, many different iterations of the, of this you know, the team, the club, different managers. They've all always proven that on a good day, if things fall, you know, the the club, the team are definitely capable of getting big results. But can they do it over a six game group? Is the is the trouble? I just that that's always going to be the difficulty. It's always going mm. to be finding consistency at a higher level because I remember like people to this day they probably still debate over what Celtic and Rangers would do in the, the English Premier League because you know they got this result against a pretty good team in Europe and all, but I'm like about 38 games is, is pretty tough have we ever really proven we can do that and, and it's a scaled down version of this can we do can we be consistent over a group phase given that in Europe we've not been good enough for probably 20 years but that said we are capable of getting big results when when it matters, well, maybe not when it matters, but you know, when when we dig in and things go our way, we can definitely do we're, that. Lazio was amazing. We're capable of we're capable of raising our performance as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like with Celtic, even last year, Celtic were pulling out some European performances. That you just didn't see domestically. No, like you, you did. It was like a completely different team. Something about that tournament. Something about particularly the home games. It gets an extra. Theme tune. The theme tune. Yeah, it gets an extra. 20, 20% out of these players sometimes yeah. you, th- you think to yourself like Rio Hitati for talking sake against Real Madrid didn't look out of place and and it's just you just want things like that to fall fall your way we just want you just praying to the Champions League gods like just give us something give, let's <laughs> yeah. something go one, our way once let us be Rangers for a change <laughs> is what we're saying get Charlie Nicholas lure him into a house like Joe Pesci out of Goodfellas <laughs> Get, you know <laughs> who do we need to sacrifice to get a bit of Rangers luck that's all I'm asking Benedict Belly said with this being the last year that you can get into the, the Europa League via the Champions League groups is this the last chance for a decent shot at Europe Melly? Uh, maybe maybe in that sense but the Champions League changes next season so you'll get eight games and it's I think it's against eight different teams so if we can get in that'll be interesting but I think after next season it'll just become harder and harder to qualify for it so the Europa League I is it our best chance it's good but some of the groups we've had in the Europa League have been absolute howling as well full of really good teams <laughs> so I think with Celtic you just take what you can and go from there like we're looking at this squad going into the Champions League and our best defenders out our other defender Novotsky's out Hitati we don't know if he's going to be back we're bringing in three or four maybe five new players in here we're just going to need to take it as it comes and hopefully by the time the end of the group comes around, Celtic sort of know where they are and know their best shot at it. I think this season is a good chance. Look, the Champions League, we're going to the, is it, however many teams next year and you get eight games. Qualifying from that is going to be nigh on impossible. So I think this is a good chance. I just want to see Celtic go doing as far as they can. I think 
maybe if we see like Gordon Stratton coming in after Martin O'Neill, nobody's ever going to say Gordon Stratton was a better manager and had a better team, but he had a lot more success in the Champions League. And I don't think people are going to say like Brendan Rodgers plays a better style than Ange, but his style might be a wee bit more suited to the Champions League. So we could maybe see something like that happen, but I just think it's going to be very difficult. Just need five so, four ones uh, oh, this time Chris around. Up top. <laughs> no, I was thinking of Rogers with Gamboa right back when he pitched <laughs> in with his debut against Barcelona for a flat back five. None of that, please. Rogers fancies himself at this level. Oh, he absolutely oh. fancies himself at this level. Rogers um, fancies himself. <laughs> at this level, at this level. <laughs> um, okay, we've got a, a, we're, we're approaching sort of the hour mark, which is when the podcast wraps up. But there's still some questions from patrons to get through. If you want to support us on Patreon, I should have said this: Patreon.com/slash Twenty Minute Tims. If you're watching this live, uh, early access type thing, you already do. So thank you very much. But if you're listening to this later on, please consider dropping us a subscription. Uh, not a subscription, Stephen. What's it called? Uh, yeah, that's was a subscription. Is a, it? A yeah, pledge. Yeah. Let's call it a pledge. A pledge. Yeah. Drop us a pledge. Right, so here we go. I'm going to fire through some quick fire oh, ones. Oh, a lightning round. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> a lightning round. Right, fingers on your buzzers. No, Ricardo's asking, um, and I have edited some questions because they're a wee bit wordy, but the, the essence, the potted <laughs> version of what Ricardo's asking here is, with increased interest in the women's game, should Celtic look to move the girls out of Airdrie and into Celtic Park? Um, I was at a great event last season for the girls at Celtic Park and the stadium was rocking and they got that whole Celtic end, sort of pseudo-Celtic end thing going. The Green Brigade and the boys were all involved there and they, they all got behind the girls. It was a great atmosphere and it, it's probably more like it. Um, I think Airdrie, not just not the place, but the stadium, uh, the Pennycast Stadium, is an enthusiasm vacuum. <laughs> it's an excitement black hole. Um <laughs> It's really, really difficult to get up for any game there. Anytime I went to see the B Tory team. Tory MPs there. Mm. Does it? Yeah, well, there you go. So anytime I went to see the B team at Airdrie, uh, which I've taken my nephew to sometimes, I've said, I've told this story before, but, you know, I, I took him to the B team last year and just pretended that all the players were the players. He's like, <laughs> is that Matt O'Reilly? Yes, it yep. is. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> He's, he's like that. Is that Aaron Moy? Yep, yep, absolutely is. It wasn't he. Um, so, should they move them away from Airdrie? I think they should. I think if if it's possible, we need to try and get them into Celtic Park. I know, Melly, you don't agree because the the crowds would be, with respect, paltry compared mm. to the the full, the full Celtic Park atmosphere. But I, I just don't like the Airdrie Stadium. I think it's grim. Uh, it's terrible. It's, it's not so much that uh, I don't think they should do it. If, a perfect world it'd be great but we've seen last season when the Celtic B team played a game there and the pitch get cut up like Celtic exactly Park can't be played thinking, on yeah. every week no no pitch unless we get a plastic one can it's just not possible if you're hosting women's games then Celtic Park's going to be played on every week and we've seen the pitch over the last few seasons it, it doesn't hold up to that so I think that'd be the only reasoning behind it I think it'd be great it'd be good for the atmosphere for it'd be good for the girls but it's just not going to be good and the grass isn't there for us to do it so I think that would be my main reason but the games last season there were great I'd like to see more of it but maybe if we could do it in the sort of summer months rather than uh, do it in the winter then it might be a goer but I think the there must be better stadiums in Airdrie available for them but again all the stadiums they use for the B team and for the girls team are AstroTurf pitches because they can be played on every week uh, I suppose they, they so should much... maybe look sorry Stephen that I was going to say they should maybe look I think there is plans oh 5,000 one seater stadium up at uh, Barrafield yeah. oh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the fake rumour about why Ange wanted to leave <laughs> yes. or something 
um, for people who don't know a very niche reference um, there was a fake rumour doing the rounds that Ange demanded a 5009 seater stadium <laughs> at Barrafield for the women and B teams yeah. else he moved to Tottenham too sweet um, <laughs> but I think that's something that Celtic should look at developing Barrafield as like a wee hub for the B team for the girls team and you know that sort of thing yeah I, I do know there is there's substantial uh, investment going into Barrafield yeah. at the moment so hopefully that, that, that can be developed up where's upon. our hotel Oh yeah, the, the oh, hotel and million casino. Pound. Yeah, museum or hotel. Uh, taking a sweet time into the the pitch. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking when that that question appeared in front of me before you started talking. That's exactly what I thought of was the pitch. And you could. It's not even so much every week. You could sometimes, depending on circumstances, depending on draws, you could get Celtic playing two games, two home games in a week, Champions League and home game, and then you could potentially have the exact same for the women's team and you could have four games in a week scheduled did you see that thing about Real Madrid's pitch no did you see that video did you see that video the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life Celtic need to get this and you can play as many games as you want on it the pitch right the Real Madrid pitch this bit dips down and goes under the ground and then the other bit rolls around and goes under the ground it's, it's like, it's ah, like right, aye, they've got two pitches kind of thing, yeah. aye, it's unbelievable it. so if you you end up with a schedule where you have to play four games at Celtic Park what you would have to do is move them to Airdrie and then people have potentially bought a season ticket for the women's team at Celtic Park having to go to mm. Airdrie for a, couple of, for a couple of games and you might end up in the same boat so it's probably not workable right now but I suppose it is the it should be the, the kind of long longer term goal to get them into a better stadium and and you know what the crowds would be obviously a fraction of what the, the men's team would get at first but if if they were playing at Celtic Park or something similar or, or something relatively close to it you would get a lot more people going you would get a lot more people mm. going to a, a Glasgow based stadium than than an energy I, I assume so it, it should probably be the goal but I just for, for a number of logistical reasons right now it's probably not not viable we're just crushing the patrons' hopes and dreams here with every question. How do you think yeah. we'll get on in the Champions League? Ah, oh, probably not very good. Four it's not points, looking good. Yeah. Do you think? The, do you think the women should play at Celtic Park? Nah, they'll cut up the pitch. <laughs> do you think any manager in the SPFL would make a deal at Celtic? Nah, everyone's rubbish in the SPFL. I prefer. I prefer my approach. All we need to do is invest eighty-three million pounds in a rotating Real Madrid-style pitch, and then the girls can move into Parkhead, right. and and everyone's happy. Floating pitch casino. David Murray had the right idea, didn't he? Well, uh, yes. Uh, the if other... this was a Rangers podcast, we probably would have... Just, oh, they're going to uh, cut up the pitch because uh, they're all wearing high heels, eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, you, did you hear what I said, Jock? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other Berry, right? Okay, here we go. Quick fire. Why hasn't Rogers dropped Turnbull for home or Hatati? Yeah, well, Hatati's injured, um, uh, but I, I don't I don't really know about the, the home thing. Um, it might have just been... Look, a trip to Ibrox is a is a a particular set of circumstances, kind mm. of away from the general grind of the domestic calendar. It's a totally different challenge to playing at home. I think home's played a, a, home has played a couple of home games. Um, he started one quite recently. Didn't really impress. Didn't really justify his inclusion. For, for the Rangers game Turnbull is probably just seen as a, a safer pair of feet on the day a safer right foot a safer pair of on, on foot so it, it turns out it hasn't been the right decision um, Turnbull didn't really impress in fact he didn't really influence the game in any major way or minor way at all Aye, Brooks has to be said but he has been there before he has played against Rangers a lot more than home home's relatively brand new I wouldn't normally advocate for that kind of thing I think if you're good enough you're old enough and you're experienced enough just get them in just shove them in there but on this occasion 
I, I'm not. I don't necessarily even agree with the decision, but I understood it. I understood the the, the need for Turnbull in there. He carries a bit of a goal threat as well that you could probably we were looking pretty up against it in terms of uh, the the squad selection. So I I get that. Hadadi's just not available just now, but I I do. I do acknowledge that Turnbull was playing ahead of Atati for the first couple of games of the season anyway before he got injured, so I don't understand that at all. Whether it's been contracts, wranglings behind the scenes, who knows? I could only speculate on that, but I'm sure that now when Hatati's back fit, if we... There's been some rumours about the contract situation mm. that he might be a, a wee bit more agreeable to it now, mm. that, uh, that he didn't necessarily get the attention he wanted in the, the summer window. No it's, brainer, isn't it? I mean, the window's closed. He may just as well the contract. Take, yep, he may as well take a take a salary bump here, and he's still going to be just as valuable to to teams in the open market come next summer or whenever he, he he wants to move anyway. So he may as well sign the new contract. I'm sure once that's all dealt with, if it's going to be dealt with, then he'll be back in the team because he's too talented a player no to leave it for any length of time. But it'd be ridiculous for us to be sitting here acknowledging the fact that we've not had the not the most free flowing starts to any mm-hmm. season that we would have liked and. And we're just letting Hatati rot on the bench. It's not. It's not viable to me at all. That would. That would be senseless. Mark Melly, oh. Daniel McGeoch is asking. I'm not sure why my. I'm not sure why, but some of my friends think that Peter Law is definitely influencing the transfer strategy. What are your thoughts? Uh, no, like Daniel. I think some of your friends might <laughs> oh, be. You're, you're about to be sternly with, told off here. You've been first named by Melly. Uh, a friend of mine who. Over the end of the transfer window, I texted him and said, look, mate, you have beaten cancer, but Peter Lowell is going to finish you off here being back at Celtic <laughs> Wow, Jesus. I thought Jesus he was on the verge really. of having a stroke. And lo and behold, since Celtic have beaten Rangers <gasps> in the however 10 days since then, I have not heard a peep from him. <laughs> so he is just happy to moan his life away about Celtic. And it's mainly Peter Lowell's his thing. But no, I don't. I think he's there in this role that he's doing I don't see why he would in any way be allowed to come in and start mingling with things for a start he wasn't very good at it to start with so I don't see why but this is what we spoke about at the time Stephen you were big on this bringing this guy back is going to bring this back up every time for Celtic they've done it themselves bringing in Bernard Higgins everybody said why the hell are you even thinking about this they get shown up for that bringing back Peter Law was never ever going to work out for Celtic and this is what happens as soon as deals don't go well as soon as contracts aren't signed as soon as players are taking too long it's all going to go back to Peter Lawwell and if Brendan Rodgers goes it'll be blamed on Peter Lawwell as well So we need to decide I think as podcasters and fans what you believe and what you don't and what what side of the fate so if if people are going to say like you've just criticised your friend for being obsessed with Peter Lawwell and there is a sort of largest minority of fans who still think he's in there controlling things and it's his fault when deals don't go through and all that sort of stuff but it's it's not the reality is it's not yeah. so if people are going to turn around and go oh Peter Lowell again you can't really go to Celtic see people are going to make up things because he's back you don't you don't really know that but I've got an int- I, I've got to say though I think the answer to this question Dyer's question is yes Ooh. but maybe not in the way people think is Peter Lowell still influencing Celtic's transfer business yes I think he is. I think I think I think the Oh well, I think you're ma- in a good way, are you? No, no, no. But what I'm going to say is he's no influencing it as in he's on the end of the phone, he's on the end of the fax machine, he's he's talking to agents, he's talking to players and he's actually doing deals. But largely Celtic are still operating a transfer model and a way of transfer doing biz- transfer business that Peter Law brought into the club. 
all those years ago. Not much has changed. We're still leaving our business very, very late. We're still trying to do this player trading thing. And we're still sort of look as if we're trying to play hardball and figures and we're sort of, you know, we've just spoken about how we didn't get certain players in during the window when we were linked to a million and one left backs. And I find it I find it very hard to believe that Celtic or a club of Celtic stature with our money and our wages couldn't go out and sign a left back when the manager wanted one. I just find that difficult to believe. So I think that's an element of leaving our business too late. So I think that sort of stuff, I think the disappointments from the transfer window are a legacy issue from the way that Celtic do business. And I think Celtic themselves will think we're very successful in the transfer market, so why change? I think Celtic think that about a lot of things because they will turn around and say, We've, we win things more often than not. So why would we go in and massively overhaul anything when we don't necessarily have to? That would be their argument. And I think that's one thing that we do see. I think, I, I, I you know, if you wanted to call this the Lowell model of doing transfers, I think we're still operating that. There's maybe tweaks here and there, but I think largely it's still the same way of doing business. And I think we saw a change in it briefly when Ange was involved. And I think that was, and I suspect that was Ange's pressure. I think he was more hands-on transfer-wise than some other managers are, i.e. he's a want meetings every week, i.e. he's on the phone chasing up people, i.e. he's taking a more involved role. Um, and I've already seen actually Tottenham have already signed some guy for January and people are praising yeah. the fact that trans they're doing their transfer business early already so may we will maybe see over the next couple of months and weeks down south if that's an Ange thing and that's pressure he applied but does does Peter also influence the transfer strategy at Celtic? I think he does does that mean he's actively involved day to day? Not so sure I think the idea that I, th I think some people uh, I mean broadly speaking I th as, as Melly said like, I think it was a distraction that a certain element of fans just didn't need. They're never going to take to that surname just being attached to, to the club mm. and it's always going to be the, the thing just hovering over. The ghost at the feast is Peter Lawwell and I don't think it was a distraction that was worth having. However, I do acknowledge that Peter Lawwell is a guy who is highly respected across football. You know, Not just Scottish football, he's pretty well connected in European football. So he's clearly got something about him and he's probably worth having in some sort of even ceremonial ambassadorial role at the club. Mm. I don't think he's hands-on. So I think the idea that people have built up in their heads is that... He's the next wee J. <laughs> right, <aye>. so, <laughs> so, Just have him... Just, just have him appear, you know, sort of in front of the Green Brigade. The next day, have yeah. him, give him, give him Kieran T on his old megaphone. Just keep away from transfers. <laughs> but I think that, that that's the image. I think people have built up. It's like the Celtic have this huge vault of money, and they're just. It's dead easy. Just walk in and pick up the money and go and pay it for a left back. But he's standing in front of it with a, with a knife. Like, you just try it. You just try and sneak <laughs> one point five million out of there and see if you come away with your hands. Right. So I, I think that's the kind of image that people have built up. He just. It just stops transfers, and I think that's slightly... he's asking to be CC'd in every transfer. Email. <laughs> yeah, so I, th I think it's slightly fanciful to think that that's how it works because everyone, I think we need to remember that it's not just you walk into Celtic Park, you walk into the building, and it's just like there's some people who welcome you into the building, and then it's just Peter Lowell up in an office doing everything on his own. That's that's not how it works. It underneath Peter Lowell or alongside Peter Lowell are a bunch of serious professional people running a, a fairly serious professional football club. If, if Peter Lowell really was standing in the way of transfers and messing up contracts and messing up deals, that kind of stuff information would get out. I remember reading a book years ago, kind of talking about how silly some uh, conspiracy theories are. And the the example it used about the you know the fake moon landing, they faked the moon landing. But the the example that this book said that look, 
thinking the amount of people who would have had to be involved in that and they've all just taken it to their grave and said absolutely nothing mm-hmm. thinking the amount of people who work at Celtic on a daily basis if Peter Lowell was running about just sort of tearing up contracts and unplugging the fax machine on transfer deadline day and all that people would know about it it, it wouldn't just be like aye it wouldn't just be well, like, managers wouldn't stand for it ah, no. I, I, of course and even above that you think that all the kind of the proper board mm. that he is only just a non-executive member of I think they would stand for that as well having their reputations tarnished by somebody just meddling for this for, for and that's the other thing why why is he why is he mm. ruining Celtic's reputation in, in transfers why is he making them weaker on the pitch What I don't, I don't understand what his motives would be for that he doesn't get to skim the money off the top that they don't spend on transfers that's not how that works either so I, I don't I, I'm the last person to stand up for Peter Lawwell because I think that he has been you know <laughs> Presided over a very successful period for Celtic, but I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair to say there were great problems with it as well. Mm. But I, I just I don't think it's I, I don't think it's sensible to take this approach to it. I don't I don't think it really works for us to just assume that he's this sort of malevolent force behind the the, the scenes just ruining everything. I, I I think it's probably quite unhelpful to think of it like that, and because realistically, Celtic are perfect. No, but they're good. They're good at what they do in general. Next up. Kayleen Duffy, what's your view on Kyogo being the best since Larson? Yes. <laughs> there we go. My, my Mark, Mark, yes. <laughs> Mark Melly gives us a yes, Stephen. Uh, well, I mean, like, we, we've spoken about this quite a lot recently. I think I don't think it's really in doubt anymore. Maybe does he need... Does he need one or two Champions European goals? Goal. Yeah, yeah. I think that would, be the, that would be the thing that seals it. It's no longer a conversation if he does that. If he scores a couple... Uh, if he scores against Feyenoord, Lazio, Atletico, take a pick, whoever it is. If he scores a couple in the Champions League proper, then what else? What else does he need to do? Because he's already done more against Rangers than any competitors already have. Mm. He's probably. I mean, I don't know about goals to games ratios, but his must be right up there as well. What we're we talking about, fifty-six goals or something like that in a couple of uh, two seasons and a bit. So if he gets the European goals, there's nothing left for him to prove that there can't be. Uh, he's never nah. going to go on and outscore Larson. He's never going to go on and get two hundred and fifty goals. That would be absurd. So what we're doing is we're drawing a line at Larson and saying what's happened since then. And the almost tears welling up in my my eyes here. Almost twenty years since Oof. Larson gone. Is is he the best in that? Uh, another couple of goals away from it, and there's, it's not even a conversation anymore. Uh, Melly, Michael Rourke, which summer signing will have the biggest impact? Oh, that's a good one. I kind of think it'll have to be the wingers. I think. I think the centre halves. You look for the attacking players, don't you? So I think at the wingers. Uh, I think hopefully Tilly will turn out to be a good signing, but I think Palmer. I think he can be. Maybe not as like him because it would be very difficult, but the Scott Sinclair Mark II for Brendan Rodgers, he seems like that type of player. He's not a like-for-like with Jota by the looks of it. He takes on players and creates things. I think he's more of a a finisher than that. So I think Luis Palma would be my pick for that, him and Tilio. For me, it's Yang, Stephen. Oh, right, okay. Mm. Um, Hard to develop on any of that. I think it's it's going to be one of the wingers. Again, centre-halves, they, they they both look fairly competent so far. Lagerbjerg has had these slip ups here and there, um, but it's 
it's a hard situation that he's been thrown into. It's almost been like, oh, hi, Gustav, welcome to Celtic, everyone's injured. They're over here in the dressing rooms. <laughs> huh? The dressing rooms, that's Brother Walford, come on in. Uh, so he's walked into this and four centre-halves are injured. They wouldn't have been playing by now. So we're, he's really been sort of exposed by his lack of experience immediately, which isn't fair on him. I think if Starfelt had turned in a couple of the, the moments that he has so far, they would never have forgiven him for it. And a lot probably never did. So I think he'll be all right. Navrotsky has been taken away from us almost immediately. So I don't I don't mm. know about the centre half so far. Liam Scales, he's kind of like a new signing in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> don't start. I, I can't really. Bernardo might like, be quietly come that's under a the good radar. Show. In the oh of, yeah. In the interest of picking my own, the ones that you haven't already gone for, I'll just say Bernardo, Bernardo because he there's a certain there's an element of surprise about him because he came in kind of at the last second we don't really know it hasn't played yet of course because it's an international break so there's there's an element of surprise there that I'm quite looking forward to a, a wee bit of excitement seeing him so hopefully it can be him Final question of the night Sean Salmon in light of the recent podcast birthday what's been your favourite podcast to record so far? Oh, Melly that's a great go for question. you first uh, I don't know if it's recency biased but some of the nights under Ange were amazing, Stephen. Sorry, but you were COVIDed up at the time. The the <laughs> night, like the game, the game we yeah. talked about, uh, beating Rangers three 0 Me and Jamie uh, went to that, and having just me and Jamie were at the Dundee United game where we got that late goal, and you just felt something was brewing. But you thought, oh, do you know what? I think Celtic could sneak this one 0 and then a. Uh, just blow Rangers away it was brilliant, and uh, I think. But I think last season uh, the the league was it the league cup final. Uh, the three of us done just after the game we met mm-hmm. up, and it was like no excuses here. Cup final, fifty fifty. Everybody's teams out. Michael Beale, let's see what you're made of, and it was nothing much. So the gloating under that one was great because beating them in a cup final was utterly tremendous, man. Absolutely sensational. But so many highlights, like quadruple trebles and all that, winning nine titles in a row. It's been brilliant, but I think I'll go with that that League Cup final last season. Stephen, if I, difficult for me to pick one, it might be all the... Ma- it, it, pick to any match reaction uh, during the COVID season. Oh. <laughs> Gee, don't Do talk I, to us. I, Do you know what that- I don't think I was podcast on heritage. Yeah. <laughs> podcast in the words of Mourinho. That's the podcast heritage. Jesus, that was, man. I was nearly at the end of his, those oh. match reactions during COVID season. We were, I'm amazed we survived that. We could easily just imagine, you know what? Why the fuck are we doing this? Why are we bothering? What are we, <laughs> s- sitting in, sitting in our houses watching the games with no, fa- no, with no fans, watching the most appalling season of our literally of our lifetimes. Yeah. It's all watching them separately and then having watching to come here. Come here, oh. tragic little computers and our tragic little microphones, and talking about the <laughs> talking about those tragic little games. Could so even get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Turn up looking like scarecrows. Well, not you, but me. Looking like a fucking scarecrow, having to drag myself in oh. front of a microphone and and say for the eight hundredth time, ah, maybe it'll click next week. <laughs> oh, eight years of podcast. What's my favourite? Oh, who knows, man? I think we must have done well over. Oh, I mean. Closed edging towards 1500 podcasts now, I reckon. Oh, it must easy. be, I, I reckon we're about 800 odd on Patreon alone, and probably still not experts, still <laughs> no, not on that no, 10,000 hours. <laughs> one day, one day when we're, I think we're, we're all contracted. I think the company that owns us, we're all contracted to we're 100 years old anyway, so I think we will, <laughs> yeah, just legally just check the record, bud, on that. I think we will. 
we will get to 10,000 episodes eventually. Just hopefully, hopefully they're all as good as the last. But I mean, favourite podcast, it would probably be some particularly ridiculous phone-in that we've done over the years. That's always the most fun to do. But in terms of game stuff, uh, the, uh, do you know what? I actually quite enjoyed the... Yeah, this is recency bias as well, but I actually quite enjoyed when we recorded immediately after the Angie's last game because I think we all we all just kind of we kind of took stock of it and we just thought, mm. look, if this is if this truly is the end, then what a ride it's been! And I I just it, it's been it's been an incredible period for us. It's been emotional, and we we all just sort of we just sort of stood there and took it all in. And you don't often get the chance to do that. You don't often, because we podcast so much and we do so many games. We all, it kind of just becomes one. <laughs> just a whole season full of dozens and dozens, hundreds of podcasts when you get the opportunity to sort of take stock of where you are and how much you've enjoyed the last, you know, however many months it was of that, that season. Um, I, I, that was quite an enjoyable one to do, but we've done, we've done so much over the years. So, so much. It's Actually, it's already been referenced, but I quite enjoyed the best since Larson video that mm. we did some months ago. Now the, the ones where we get to rank terrible signings as well, <laughs> the, or the flops and all that, that, that's always great fun because, the the names that get thrown up from the random the supercomputer the random generator <laughs> is is always hilarious so I I, I impossibly pick my favourite podcast but there have been some great ones over the years just before and we finish the, Jamie oh. I just always because me and uh, Stephen used to record in the same sort of place all the time the Lazio game was a good one as well Stephen because of the ending to that but I remember one of the qualifiers was at Cluj and <laughs> yeah. Stephen had went to meet somebody beforehand so we were yeah. separated but going to the game but after the game I just got a message from him saying do not start this reaction he <laughs> sprinted from the other side of the stadium <laughs> all the way up to where I was parked just to have his fury uh, unleashed on you <laughs> and I think it was Cluj it was Cluj aye it was Cluj because uh, in fact you know what I was at, was I not sitting with you, Jamie? I, I think I'd, I'd end up where you might have been, yeah. Seats, I, and Stephen, that fourth goal went in. I was like, I'm out here. And I just <laughs> hit the road and started running, texting as I was as I was sprinting up through Deniston. <laughs> and oh, on that glory days. bombshell, that bombshell, we shall end this episode of. 20 Minute Tim's flagship podcast we'll be back with the regular flagship next week thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon patreon.com slash 20 Minute Tim's if you want to get involved and get extra podcast videos and writing thanks to everyone who sent in a question commiserations if we didn't get to your question we could have been here literally all night reading questions out um, most of all thanks for watching and listening 